I was walking Bruce Smith to his car in the parking lot. I mentioned Bastelli, and uh, it was not a happy topic. Guys, Bruce is a big man. Welcome to Jaguars Reporters, presented by TIAA Bank, with Brian Sexton, John Osher, Ashlyn Sullivan, and J.P. Shadrick. Jaguars Reporters, presented by TIAA Bank, starts right now. Welcome into the Jaguars Reporters Podcast on Monday, February 14th. J.P. Shadrick, Brian Sexton, Ashlyn Sullivan, John Osher, and plenty to get to today. Reaction of Tony Baselli heading to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Assistant coaching staff announcement could be coming this week. We'll break down some of the big names and our final thoughts of Super Bowl 56. Well, Tony Baselli elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The announcement came Thursday night at NFL Honors. John, you were on the ground in Los Angeles. Uh, the reaction here in Jacksonville is, as you would expect, uh, certainly very excited. Uh, you were there with him. What was the scene in L.A.? Well, it was a, it's an odd scene now. I mean, I'll, I'll share that I did know going out there that he had gotten in uh, because you have to plan and you have to figure it out. So they now... It used to be that they found out hours after the vote. You could keep it secret. Now I think some people in Jacksonville had an idea, but I would have been confident anyway. I I thought all along this is going to be his year. So when he did tell me, I wasn't surprised. I'll be honest with you. I you know, it's probably the first time I've ever hugged a player. You know, and and, uh, you know, I won't get into the habit. But, you know, I was I I had tears in my eyes when he told me because, you know, it's been a long road for him. And I think if it was a normal player, I probably wouldn't have felt that way, meaning somebody who had played out his career and had the entire career he should have. The way his career ended, uh, only playing six to seven years, knowing him, knowing what the game meant to him. Brian, you and I watched him play his entire career. Uh, He wasn't just great. He played the game with a passion that uh, everybody always talks about the play against Cincinnati where he ran down after Hawkins, uh, an amazing play for a offensive lineman to make. He played with a passion. He deserved this moment. Uh, I thought the coolest thing that was a surprise was when Bruce Smith announced him. It was fantastic. That was really cool oh. because, you know, I can share this story as well. In 1998, I went up uh, to do a story on uh, Rob Johnson, who was playing with the Bills. And I also went and talked to Bruce Smith about Baselli. It was not a happy topic. It, it was, I was walking uh, Bruce to his car in the parking lot. I mentioned Baselli. And uh, guys, Bruce is a big man. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, <laughs> there, was, there was not PR around to a break up a crushing blow to the ozone that day. He obviously didn't get physical, but he would, he didn't like the question. Uh, and for a long time, he didn't like the question. I think it was Ashland a couple of years ago who asked him and, and, and sort of broke the ice. So it was cool to see that and I'll shut up about it. But uh, you know, I don't get very emotional about players and events anymore, but that was really cool to see guys. So the, the thing that said, two things stood out to me. One is just the passion, the way he played the game. Um, you know, whether it was what, what, John mentioned with that Cincinnati game in 98, also in 98 on Monday Night Football. Monday Night Football brought a camera to ISO, a left tackle, an offensive lineman, for the first time in the storied history of Monday Night Football. And, um, you know, that caught everyone's attention. And there was that play where, he, you know, the Jaguars had hit the long touchdown. He's doing this. Come on back. Come on back. 
to um, to Jason Taylor, who, you know, is a Hall of Fame pass rusher whose ass he was kicking mercilessly that night. Um, and it was just – it was so much fun to watch Tony Baselli play. And you guys, I know you read Peter King's column uh, that's now in Pro Football Talk. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the Bible of the NFL on Monday mornings during the season. And he always spends time, you know, going through the methodology of – of the Hall of Fame process, you know, what they considered and matching guys up and looking at numbers. I'll say this. You didn't need any of that. When you watched Tony Baselli, you knew you were watching a Hall of Fame player. I mean, it's just, it's just obvious. It was obvious to anybody that watched. You could have grabbed five people from the stands who were there for that game on Monday night against the Dolphins and said, vote. And they would have said, Hall <laughs> of Fame player. Uh, the other thing was his rookie the weekend they drafted him, right? So back then the draft was Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, no, back then the draft was Saturday, Sunday. So they flew him in on from New York because the draft was only in New York in 1995. And they flew him down on Sunday morning. And I was going to the stadium. We were doing a long radio program. And someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, come on, you're going to interview the first round pick. I said, Baselli's here? Uh-huh. So we'd only been in the offices for six weeks at that point. I, I barely knew my way to the weight room. So we're running, you know, it's under the stadiums under construction and we're dodging people who are working. And I walked into the weight room and there's Tony Baselli, right? A young Tony Baselli and Angie, who's pretty tall as well, wearing this brilliant red coat. And all you could think of is that's the future of the Jaguars. And as they both turned around with these million megawatt smiles, I realized they, they got their guy. And it was sort of full circle for me, JP, when he walked out into that stage last week. Because it was the same thing. That's the Jaguars guy. Ashlyn, it, we know how close Tony is with his family and just seeing the reaction of, of Angie and, and the kids yeah. and, and everyone around it when it all went down I, and seeing the reaction on social media and the videos and the photos that are going up. You know, we, we all know Tony very well, but just, just to see that smile and the entire family is going in the Hall of Fame too, as he said. Yeah, it's cool. They just released, I think it'll come out today, NFL Films was in the house when he got the knock from Anthony Munoz. And Tony's not necessarily an emotional guy, but when I saw his wife and his kids crying, that made me cry. Because Tony, he said these past years, you know, his wife would cry, his kids would cry when he wouldn't get in. He's like, what are you crying for? This is an incredible honor that I'm even mentioned. But for him to finally get in and finally show that emotion was was really cool. So I encourage people to watch it. It was a really cool feature that NFL Network did on it. Yes, John. Yeah, I had been uh, fortunate or unfortunate enough to be in the hotel room, uh, I think three or four times when Tony got the wrong call. And uh, there were a couple of times where I was, you know, those rooms you would wait for like an hour, hour and 15 minutes because you didn't know when they were actually going to call the guy. And uh, I remember one year I was actually sitting right next to him talking because he would sort of separate from the family a little bit at times. (laughs) <laughs> he took different approaches, different years, because he was just trying to sort of maintain his uh, his composure during it. And I remember the one time that I was sitting uh, right near him, he looked at the phone and he saw the uh, Canton, Ohio number. And he said, well, I'm not getting in because, you know, they sort of knew based on that call what the routine was. And uh, Tony never cried during that, but you could obviously see the disappointment when it didn't happen but being there and seeing the disappointment of his kids during those times his daughters and angie 
it was it was very cool the other night. I happened to be able to go to the event that Shad Khan had for Tony. Uh, Rob Johnson was there, uh, an old Jaguars name, uh, Pete Prisco, Sam Cavaris, a lot of Jaguars people. And to see Tony walk in with the USC fight song playing, uh, you know, it was uh, Angie did a great job planning that. And seeing that again, uh, Brian keeps using the word for, uh, full circle. For those of us who covered him at the time, it it really was full circle. And uh, one final thing I say about it: it's a rare thing to have the first pick ever in the franchise history become the first player to be inducted into the Pride of the Jaguars. And Brian, you can speak to this. There was no doubt he was going to be the first player. He was the yeah. right guy to have at that. Um, I love Fred Taylor. I love Jimmy Smith. I love a lot of those players I covered. Baselli to me was the best player on those teams with Fred right there by a hair, but you know, Tony dominated his position. Uh, he was the right guy to have this. It usually doesn't come full circle like that where your best, your first pick works out. How many busts are there? Oh, to crazy. have it work out to that degree is an unbelievable story. And it does sort of tie the knot on an, on a career that was too short, but that was unbelievable. Uh, Jaguars fans can count all the busts. I'll just say this. Tony Baselli was the unquestioned leader of those Jaguars in the first five years when they had all that playoff success. It wasn't Mark. And Mark will point to him and say, no, it was Tony. Jimmy, Fred, all the great players that were here, all of them followed Tony Baselli. When he walked into the room, there was no doubt, you know, you're going to war with this guy on Sunday afternoon. And I'll say this, in, clo in the closing of the Tony Baselli portion, we're talking about his family and the kids. Um, and, and interesting, you know, we see all everybody's all happy, everybody's together, it's a tight group, but you haven't lived until you spend a Christmas at the Baselli house. I was fortunate enough to do that <laughs> one year. And yes, the the boys are grown a little older now, and the, the girls are a little bit older, but uh, it is still mayhem and bedlam, and uh, it's it's a it's a treat, and it's um, it's a pleasure to have him as a friend and a colleague for sure. We're all excited for a Tony Baselli to be elected, and and will soon be inducted and forever enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Plenty ahead on the Jaguars Reporters Podcast. We'll discuss the assistant coaching staff when we return on Jaguars Reporters. Welcome back to the Jaguars Reporters Podcast. J.P. Shadrick, John Osier, Ashlyn Sullivan, and Brian Sexton. Well, we've seen all the reports over the last uh, couple weeks, a week or so, since uh, Doug Peterson has been hired as head coach. All these names are being reported. Nothing official from the Jaguars yet, but there's a feeling that could come, I would say, early in the week this week. There could be an official announcement of the assistant coaching staff. That's at least my gut on it. Uh, let's talk through some of the big positions here. And, you know, I would argue, Ashwin, that defensive coordinator is the big one because there's so many offensive names. Doug Peterson's going to call the plays. We've seen all the offensive names reported. But, hey, Mike Caldwell, defensive coordinator, you're kind of on your own over there, bud. Um, get this thing going on defense. Yeah, that's the that's – the I guess thought we had after listening to Doug Peterson's introductory press conference when he said he was going to call the plays. That wasn't a surprise, but – it very much was the motto that defensive coordinator, it would have to be a guy that could completely control the defense. And I think we're seeing with all these reported names, just the relationships that Doug Peterson has. He said, firstly, he wanted guys that were good guys in this building. I think you're seeing that with those reported names. And 
and guys that have a long time connection to Doug Peterson. He isn't necessarily taking any chances. He trusts these guys. So I agree. We're going to see a big announcement of all these names. And I would think Wednesday to Friday that's happening, but we all know he's been working tirelessly to get this staff together. We saw him at the introductory press conference. We haven't seen him since because he's doing all these interviews. So Working really hard to get these names together. And, yeah, I think within the next few days we'll have a final announcement. He was supremely confident when when asked. I think Mark Long asked the question, are you, you know, yes, we're going to be okay. Uh, and which is <laughs> good to hear from Peterson. And, and, you know, Mike Caldwell, John, 14 years as a defensive assistant, his first coordinator gig, and uh, we'll see what else he builds around that. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a young staff. Uh, Press Taylor, uh a young guy, uh, the offensive line coach, whose name is escaping me right now. I was just writing about him last night. Uh, also a young guy. Um, if if you wanted sort of a fresh look and a fresh feel, you got it. Uh, there's a lot of synergy that lines up. Um, I haven't done a deep dive into the coaching staff yet, having been in L.A. last week. But it, it'll be interesting to see how the defense approaches it. It, it sounds like they're going to stick with uh, three, four, uh, basics to this. Um, to me, it's intriguing on a uh, experience level for Doug Peterson how quickly he put this staff together. Uh, you know, I think it speaks to the contrast again. And I hate to keep bringing up Urban Meyer, but we're just right off of that. Took a long time, and looking back, had to study a little bit how to put together a staff during the process, and it took a while. Uh, Doug Peterson, the reason you hired him is he knows the NFL. He has relationships already. It was it's pretty clear from the speed of it to me, Brian. He knew guys he wanted. He probably had every position uh, top one, two, three. Probably went over that with Shad during the interview, went over that with Trent Baalke during the interview. Uh, no real interviews necessary as much as calling a guy and saying, hey, hey, you're my guy. Can you come or you're available? Let's go. You know, the night that Doug was hired, I picked up the phone and I called a couple of people who know him, uh, some who have coached with him or played with him. And they were able to tell me the guys he was going to hire. I mean, Doug, he had a list, right? The great coaches keep track of the great young coaches and they know who the guys are that they want to bring along. Press Taylor, as people are reading about, is young. He's Zach Taylor's brother. But he coached with Doug for a number of years in Philadelphia. And then he went with Frank Reich to Indianapolis. So these guys keep track of one another. You look at a guy like uh, Caldwell, who he played with in Philadelphia, and then who he had on his staff in Philadelphia. Uh, He's a guy, pardon me, he was on Andy Reid's staff when Doug was a coach on Andy Reid's staff in Philadelphia. So they had a list. They knew who they wanted. And that's, that's the difference between a college coach who's coming in and figuring it out and a professional coach. And it's, by the way, I think it's the difference between Byron Leftwich's candidacy and Doug Peterson's because a young coach like Byron, who's never done it before, he's going to have to really grind to get guys and compete for guys. Whereas Doug picks up the phone and says, Hey, press Taylor, Mike Caldwell, I want you to come and work with me. Yep. Done. It's a known quantity and it allows this thing to spin up even faster. Obviously, uh, the number one priority is the quarterback position and getting Trevor Lawrence uh, right and getting guys around him. How about the names around him now? Of course, Doug Peterson will call the plays on offense. Mike McCoy's the quarterback's coach. Press Taylor's the offensive coordinator. Jim Bob Cooter's the passing game coordinator. 
and he worked with Peyton and uh, with Stafford over his time as a, an assistant in the NFL. Mike McCoy is a former head coach, as you mentioned. Brian Press Taylor has has been around uh, this this system for a long time. Those are some significant names around the quarterback. They're not missing the assignment, which is the quarterback has to develop. Yeah. McCoy, you'll recall, was with the Broncos when Peyton Manning went there and was the offensive coordinator there. So they touched a lot of pieces and places. They'll get him right. Now you have to work to put some weapons around him. The, the draft is uh, 73 days away. I think free agency is a month away. So that's going to become very, very critical. But these guys who are coming in to work with the passing game, to work with the quarterback, they have a pedigree. They have a resume that speaks to their success, and that's critical. I've gotten some emails from people wondering why, if, if Doug's going to call plays, why you have an offensive coordinator, Press Taylor. And just to clarify for people, everybody on, on this call knows, um, most head coaches who call plays, they still have an offensive coordinator. He writes the game plan during the week. He goes over it. I think it's significant that Press Taylor is right out of the Andy Reid, Doug Peterson tree. I don't think there's going to be any philosophical arguments during the week about what to do offensively. Press Taylor can lay out the game plan with input from Doug. It allows Doug to be to go be a head coach during the week and sort of pick up the game plan and call plays on Sunday. It's not that simplistic. Obviously, Doug will have an idea before Sunday. But, you know, Nate Hackett in uh, Green Bay did this. It, it's very common. Uh, enemy did it in uh, Kansas City with Andy Reid. Uh, for the coaches who call the plays, they need a good coordinator, and that guy remains important even though he's not doing the act of play calling on Sunday. I think, I think sometimes that gets lost a little bit, and they think a coordinator who doesn't have play calling duties is just sort of sitting there playing Madden all week. It's not that way. <laughs> yeah, and Doug also mentioned that he didn't close the door that if things get too hectic or something happens where he just takes that play calling and hands it off to the offensive coordinator. So it wasn't an egotistical thing or a slamming the fist that I'm calling the plays from now on forever. He, he left the door open that things could change. It just was for now. Yeah. And uh, Ashlyn, you, you spoke with Trevor right after the announcement or the day of the announcement and uh, presentation of Doug Peterson. And I, I just kind of got the vibe from him and, you know, you, you know, him better, I think than, than any of us on this podcast um, that he's going to be excited to have some real ex- a, a full staff of experience around him. He had some experienced assistants around him last year. Yes. But uh, to really kind of move this thing forward, I, it just kind of got a sense of disappointment from last season, the way things were going as the second half of the season came along. Now we can reset, move forward. I think Trevor will probably be in a good mind frame. Absolutely. We saw him on, he was on NFL total access, I think. And he kind of repeated what he said in our Jaguars.com interview. We, we talked about the coaching of Doug Peterson and, and the history behind it, but he kept going back to Doug Peterson playing at this level. And he said, yes, he's accomplished so much as a coach, but to have a coach that's played this position and understands what I'm going through, he keeps talking about that. So I think something we should hone in on is it's very rare. I think that you have a coach right now in the NFL who's also played quarterback in the NFL. So it's, he just gets it, and I think that's going to be really helpful for Trevor in his young career. I want to go back to something that John said, and that is there won't be philosophical differences between the head coach and the offensive coordinator. Look, people didn't hear this last year, but there were philosophical differences between the NFL coaches on that staff and the college coaches last year who wanted to do more things from the Clemson playbook than from an NFL playbook. You're coming in now with NFL coaches who the quarterback can trust 
to put him in the right spot where they're all going to be of the same mindset working together for Doug. That really matters. It's critical for the quarterback's development that he trusts Mike McCoy, uh, Jim Bob Cooter, uh, Press Taylor, Doug Peterson to all be in alignment. And because Doug, is, as Ashlyn just said, has played the position and understands the quarterback development cycle, they're all going to be in alignment in his best interests. And that wasn't always the case last year. We'll take a timeout when we return our thoughts of Super Bowl 56 and what's ahead this week. This is the Jaguars Reporters Podcast. Welcome back to the Jaguars Reporters Podcast. J.P. Shadrick, Ashlyn Sullivan, Brian Sexton, John Osier. The day after Super Bowl 56, the Rams rally to beat the Bengals 23-20, a 15-play, 79-yard touchdown drive that took four minutes and 48 seconds. Matthew Stafford to Cooper Cup with a minute 25 remaining for the win. Cups the MVP. What a game. What a what a season for the Rams. This was really the big season. They they went all in, as they tweeted in November, and traded a bunch of people in. They got the quarterback, and it paid off with a Super Bowl championship, Brian. It's a style that not a lot of people are familiar with. It's sort of against the grain in NFL circles to trade away first-round picks. They haven't had one since 2016, and they're not going to have one until 2024, right? Uh, they, they throw salary cap dollars around. I mean, like it, like they're souvenirs. You know, here's some for you, for you, for you. But last night in the fourth quarter, especially that last drive, all the guys that they traded for came up with big plays. Jalen Ramsey, who gave up those two big plays early in the game, was money. Locked those guys down. Von Miller, uh, Aaron Donald, uh, Cooper Cup, Matt Stafford. Uh, the money they spent, the draft picks they spent, all came through with five minutes left to play. And, and I know Les Snead, he was you know, with the Jaguars in the early days of his career, and he was always an aggressive guy. Congratulations today to Les Snead uh, because his aggressive style paid off handsomely. And you know they'll be in contention again next year because this team will still be together. And if they win two Super Bowls, they don't care if they have a couple of down years. You're exactly right, Brian. They did go all in with the trades. Um, their two best players are still guys they drafted. Yeah. So, you know, Cooper Cup and Aaron Donald are the, are the two best players on that team. They were draft picks. So if you're going to play the way the Rams do, meaning go after and be aggressive in free agency, you still need to hit on your guys. Those are still their core guys. So um, you still got to do both and credit to them for doing both. I, I, uh, I was sort of pulling for the Bengals because I just like the way Joe Burrow plays. I like that team. If the if the Jaguars can sort of emulate that, and boy, what a team they must be to follow. I kind of came away from this season credit the Rams because uh, they went and got it done, but I didn't really get the feeling this year. This seemed like a weird year to me. I didn't feel like at any point in the playoffs I thought we were watching great games. I never got the feeling we were watching a great team play. I still don't feel that way. This this kind of feels like a year. That you look that you look back and say, well, the Rams won it. Uh, if they win it again next year, then I guess this year all of a sudden becomes sort of feels like a team of greatness. This felt like a transition year in the NFL to me, and uh, and the Rams went and got one when it was sort of a wide open field, I guess, if you will. I mean, uh, they won as the fourth seed. The Niners were the sixth seed in the AFC Championship game. The Bengals came out of nowhere. Um, it made for a fun year. I wonder if this year will be remembered as a great year or one where the Rams won. But, you know, 
<laughs> they'll take it. I'm not saying that. I mean, you know, you take that ring, but it's, uh, you know, just sort of my thought on the playoffs. That is true. I never thought about that. There isn't one team that really separated themselves by a mile and you see the closeness of all those playoff games and it was awesome to watch and it made it really entertaining, but it is true. It was so close through the, through the neck of it. And I, I thought it was really impressive with Odell Beckham Jr. Going down. I thought the Rams were in trouble. You saw the shakiness of the offense, Matt Stafford. I was like, I don't know if they can pull this off without him. And they came back. So credit to him. And you saw the clutchness of Cooper cup in that final drive. It, it shows why you pay the good guys a lot of money to keep them around because those guys come up clutch in big moments. What we've got in this league is now, if you have a quarterback who is playing great, you have a chance to win. I don't know if there is a roster that is destined for greatness in terms of being a powerhouse team, like some of the teams that we've seen in you know almost 30 years of doing this. Um, it's all about the quarterback now. And if you've got one playing well, you have a chance to go take one. But I, I think free agency and the salary cap have leveled the playing field in many ways to the point that you don't need to have a powerhouse team if you have a powerhouse quarterback. Yeah, and maybe I'll feel differently as we go on, but I've completely turned. I would not draft a corner in, in the top 15 anymore. I mean, I, I, you know, but good for Jalen. He got the he got his ring. I'm glad his back held up throughout the whole game. I was concerned about that. <laughs> but, it, you know, I, it's, it, it's pressure up, up front. It's quarterback play, and it – and it's wide receiver play right now. The Bengals got to the Super Bowl. Uh, it finally bit them a little bit, their offensive line play last night, I thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they got to the Super Bowl, giving up a lot of sacks. Uh, mm-hmm. But the Bengals could pressure. You saw that last night. The Bengals' front was a very disruptive front. Build your defensive front, get a quarterback and, and, and some wide receivers, and roll the dice. That feels like the way the league's playing right now. And uh, I'm not sure it's going to change. So, Hey, real quick. Yeah, if, if last night proved anything – Jaguars should address offensive line with their first pick because that quarterback in the fourth quarter, uh, he was hobbling around because of the hits that he was taking. I mean, mm-hmm. if you don't go get a big guy and fortify up front, I think you're missing the point. A guy like Evan Neal from Alabama, the kid from North Carolina State, if that's who you think's the best, but go and give more big bodies because you better protect these quarterbacks. Uh, finally, halftime show, best song, California Love. Schlin, what do you think? Mary J. Blige, my mom loves her and she was freaking out. So I thought she was a hit. I just thought it was cool to see the collaboration and, and everything together. And, and then it felt really taking a chance. And I think it paid off. What do you think, John? I like the show. I, I, um, you know, I love, here's what I love. I'm not a hardcore hip hop guy, believe it or not. Uh, That's but, but I do have an appreciation of the music. I, I watch a lot of music documentaries. I always try to watch documentaries on NWA. Uh, you know, Dr. Dre, their story is always fascinating to me. What an unbelievable moment for those two guys. This is what I took away from it. I was talking to my son, Jake, about it, who does like a lot of the music that I'm just too old to understand. Um, what an unbelievable moment for those two. Growing up in L.A., not too far away from that stadium. Um, it's safe to say, if, if you know those kids' stories, that was not where they thought they were going to be when they were coming up. So what an unbelievable symbolic moment uh, for the hip hop genre, which, again, you know, not my, you know, that's not my core on my iPad. But uh, I thought that was really, really cool. And the way they did it, uh, you know, what a moment for that style of music, which has come along in the last 30 years and become American music. 
uh, a very cool moment. And uh, I can't imagine what those guys were thinking as they were walking on. That had to be really cool. Yeah, I mean, that neighborhood is, what, three, about three miles from the stadium and mm-hmm. yeah. where a lot of those guys cool. grew up, which is, is pretty incredible. Um, all right, so what's coming up, Brian, this week? we got uh, dri- drive time back. Is that – I heard rumors. There's rumblings yeah. in the building. Coming back. That there's drive time tomorrow. Yeah. Is that right? <laughs> well, we always have things to say, JP, and once again, now there's a venue to say it. Yeah, drive time, uh, come back uh, Tuesday, tomorrow. And it's a weekly thing now. So, because as I mentioned, the draft is um, – not the draft. Free agency is thirty days away, and we're going to have coach announcements, and it's going to get busy here really quickly. Yeah, free agency is thirty days away. Oh Ooh, my gosh! Yeah, boy. that's but, crazy. Can we how, talk about? I forgot to mention this. How weird the Rock at the beginning of the Super Bowl was. Yeah. I hate to be a Debbie Downer, but that was so weird. I hated every minute of it. The players are like, "Let's wrap this up. Let's go. We have a game to play." It was just weird. I didn't like it one bit. Seems like well, sometimes NBC. when you try so hard, you miss. And with yeah, the NFL, yeah, the NFL has turned this into such a mega production that you you try a million things, um, <laughs> and not all of them exactly work. And when you're putting it out there on the national and international stage, sometimes when you whiff, it's going to look strange. And that yeah, that did look a little strange. But it's uh, you know the the old man in me would have preferred a lot less of a lot of things yesterday, but that era is not coming back for us, Brian. No, Get that, my was, lawn, that, was, <laughs> that was a case of too many ingredients, right? I mean, when you're, when you're cooking and you have this at your hands and you can go grab this and this and this, you can use too many ingredients um, because they were in LA with all the, uh, the, uh, the stars and all of the uh, entertainers there. They just that was one too many. At some point, it is the Super Bowl. Just roll the ball out and kick it off and play, play. the game. And just so play, glad. You, you play to win. I'm glad game. that was addressed. I feel better now. Thank you, Ashley. Appreciate Good. that. Uh, thank you for joining us today on Jaguars Reporters. John Osier, Ashton Sullivan, Brian Sexton. I'm JP Shadrick. We'll catch you next time on the Jaguars Reporters Podcast.